0: Nearly 2800 years ago, the nation of Israel was in horrible shape. Israel had been divided by a civil war into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Israel or sometimes referred to in the scriptures as Ephraim, it was filled with all manner of idolatry and immorality. And the southern kingdom called Judah was maybe not quite as bad, but they were certainly well down the path toward decline along with the northern kingdom. It is under those conditions that we are introduced to the prophets. The prophets who were formerly in the Old Testament historical books referred to as seers, they had foresight to see the future implications of the present conditions of the people and the nation. When we think of prophets, we oftentimes think of someone with a special ability to interpret dreams or to see visions. We think of them as revealers of secret things. And in some cases, that view might very well be true. But prophets were also those who were wise in the scriptures and they were experts in the law, specifically the book of Deuteronomy. They were students of the law of Moses and they understood the conditional nature of the Torah and what has sometimes been referred to as the Deuteronomic principle they understood, as Moses lays out in the book of Deuteronomy, that obedience to God's commands brings about blessing and disobedience results in curses or destruction, even exile of the people from the promised land. So the clear conditional nature of the book of Deuteronomy, that Deuteronomic principle is really an if this, then that sort of nature. If obedience, then blessing. If disobedience than cursing. So while it is true that some of the prophets, individuals like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and others, it is true that some of them saw visions and they had dreams about far future events. But more often the prophets saw the present actions and realities of their leaders and their countrymen and then they mapped out the obvious outcomes of that behavior in light of God's command. Again, if obedience, then blessing. If disobedience, then cursing. We're going to see this very clearly when we get to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so it was nearly 2,800 years ago, more than 600 years after Moses gave the commands in Deuteronomy, that A young man named Isaiah began to prophesy a powerful message in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. There in the city of Jerusalem stood this great temple of God, which King Solomon had built and dedicated about 300 years before Isaiah. There, the people of Judah, they they sacrificed and they worshipped day after day, just continually with importunity. And there under the shadow of that great temple in that great city of Jerusalem, this zealous young Isaiah proclaimed, the holy city of Jerusalem has become like Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities of antiquity that were destroyed by God for their wickedness. I mean, can you imagine how that message must have been received or actually not received, completely rejected really by the people of Isaiah's day. He says, as he's standing there in the holy city, as he's standing there in the shadow of the temple, this city has become just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes on in his opening words in Isaiah chapter 1, and he says to the people, this is the message that he is proclaiming Judah, you are filled with sin and wickedness, so much so that God does not want your sacrifices, he no longer wants your offerings. He no longer wants your worship from the temple. We read this very specifically in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Reading from the New Living Translation, Isaiah says, What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. In effect... Isaiah declared to the people of his time, this is God's word to you. God does not want your worship any longer. Your praises are nothing more than lip service. In fact, later in his book, God says, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So God says, I don't want your lip service any longer. Yes, I gave you the command to offer sacrifices and offerings back in Leviticus through Moses, but I am sick of all of your offerings and sacrifices. Yes, I told you to observe the feasts and the Sabbaths, but it has become a meaningless ritual for you to the point that I hate seeing you come before me. And as a result of all this, I no longer am going to listen to your prayers. That That's a heavy message that Isaiah was really called by God to give to the children of Israel. God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers any longer. Why? Why would God say this? What on earth could cause God to have this response towards his people? What exactly was the wicked thing that Judah had done to make God respond in this manner? Well, Isaiah gives us the answer in verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 1. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look, though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for, because your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Now I know when you get right down to it, there really are no innocent victims. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to our own way. Theologically, that is a reality, that is true, But. What was Judah's great sin? Isaiah goes on to say, speaking the word of the Lord in verses 16 and 17 of Isaiah chapter one, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. And here's the key, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Who were the innocent victims that Isaiah says the people had been taking advantage of? the innocent of Judah that had been disadvantaged during that time, they were the oppressed. They were the fatherless and the widow. Judah's primary wickedness was not idolatry or immorality. Those things were problems for them, but it was the evil of injustice, injustice for the poor, injustice for those who were overlooked and those that had no one to advocate on their behalf. This sentiment is not unique to Isaiah, the psalmist. He prays in Psalm 94, verse 1, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech, they speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow, the stranger, and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Again, there are those groups that are mentioned. The poor, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Isaiah will highlight this exact same thing later on in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who declare unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune which they have prescribed to rob the needy, the poor, of justice and to take away what is right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. There we see these groups again. These are the innocent people that Isaiah is referring to or God is referring to in Isaiah chapter 1, the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. And God there in Isaiah chapter 10 says, woe to you, which can carry the meaning of destruction is certain. Destruction is certain for those who rob the needy of justice, especially for those who often are oppressed because they have no one to advocate on their behalf. Remember when I said that the prophets more than being revealers of secret things were experts in the law and they challenged the present status quo according to the ancient law of Moses? Isaiah looked at what was happening around him and he saw that the people were taking advantage of or ill-treating those who were the oppressed among them, the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. And he called the people to task in his day because he remembered God's word in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, we read at verse 14, these words, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. And then down in verse 17, you shall not pervert justice do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. In ancient Israel, these were the often underrepresented, overlooked and mistreated groups of people. They were the disadvantaged minorities. The slave, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger, or the foreigner in your midst. And God says, I am not going to hold you guiltless if you mistreat or disadvantage those who are among these minorities. According to God, justice and mercy are the weightier matters of his law. Speaking to the religious leaders of his day, Jesus, in Matthew 23, he would use that same word that Isaiah does back in Isaiah chapter 10, and he says, woe to you. Remember, that can carry the meaning of destruction is certain. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. You are hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Notice what Jesus is not teaching there in that passage. He does not say that tithes and the other issues of the law, including offerings and sacrifices, are not important. But he does say that you need to make sure that you observe the weightier issues of justice and mercy and faith within the law. Meaning, you can be very, very religious in your observance of some of the law, but you can be judged a hypocrite by missing the bigger issues of the law. Meaning you can go to church and you can tithe and you can serve and you can observe prayers and you can observe fasts and feast days and even memorize large sections of scriptures like the scribes and the Pharisees did in Jesus' day and yet still be a hypocrite in the eyes of God because you are not merciful and you're not kind, you're not faithful and just in the way that you treat people. And not just the people of the upper strata of society, but those that are often overlooked and mistreated, those at the bottom end of society. So Moses gives commands in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the passage that we're looking at today. Look at verse 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens, a foreigner who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin for you. Now, like it or not, every society stratifies. There are always going to be the haves that are at the top, and the have-nots that are all the way down at the bottom. And there are all manner of people in between these two poles at the top and bottom. Unfortunately, there are those that will always stack up at the bottom of the hierarchy. And they are often the ones who are overlooked and oppressed. They are often the ones who are taken advantage of by those who are above them, higher up in the distribution. This is because we are by nature sinful. We live in a broken world. And far too often, There are far too few people higher up in the hierarchy, higher up in the distribution, pleading the cause or advocating for those who are disadvantaged and below them in the culture. Again, this is because we are by nature sinful and we are sinfully selfish and we live in a broken world. So this stratification of society is, I believe, impossible to avoid. There's no way to get around this. Every single culture you find, every single people group that you will observe now and throughout history will stratify in some way. And those who are the haves will be at the top and those who are the have have nots will be at the bottom. And oftentimes those who are the have nots at the bottom, those are the ones who are gonna be disadvantaged and ill treated. And Moses is addressing that here in this passage. Those are the innocent victims that ultimately God would judge Israel for during the time of Isaiah. Now, we might like the utopian idea of a completely leveled playing field with equal distribution for all people of all things, but that is not the world that we live in. And like it or not, That does not appear to be how things will be in the world that is to come. The Bible reveals that in the world that is to come, in the kingdom of God, there will be varying distributions of reward and responsibility in the future as well, just as there is today. But even if there are varying distributions of reward and responsibility now and in the age to come, biblically speaking, we are all created with equal dignity, value, and intrinsic worth. Every single human being is born with equal value and dignity and intrinsic worth. But we are not all born with equal gifts, abilities, talents, opportunity. We don't come into this world equally endowed with gifts, abilities, talents, and opportunity. And as a result, society will always stratify with people at the top and a lot of people at the bottom. And knowing this is true, we can choose to either mitigate or exaggerate the potential bad outcomes of unequal or unjust distributions. Now, the problem with me even saying this at this moment here in the United States in 2022 is that as soon as I, as a Christian pastor, begin to talk like this, there is something of an aversion to what I am saying by the primary demographic to whom I am speaking primarily because I'm a Christian pastor, I'm going to be speaking to people who are Christians. And because I'm an American Protestant Christian pastor, I'm probably going to be speaking to a lot of American Protestant Christians. And among American Protestant Christians, when they hear the things that I'm talking about here, they start to say within their minds, well, pastor, you sure sound like you are talking about equity, and this sounds like Marxism. And if that thought crosses your mind. I want to say first to you, Moses predated Marks by 3,200 years. Second, if we are going to be true followers of Christ, then we must consistently and persistently evaluate and reevaluate our worldview by the plumb line of scripture. I've talked about this so many times here at this church before. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is useful, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So the word of God is like a plumb line that shows us what is right and true, what is righteous and good before God. And as it does, it exposes the areas of our lives and our philosophies and our worldviews and our ideas that are out of alignment. It rebukes and reproves our lives so that God can bring us back into right alignment with what is right and true. And with that in mind, Moses presents an important truth here in this passage for our consideration. How you deal with those you employ or manage is important to God. How you handle those who are under you in the distribution, in the hierarchy, is important to God. He takes careful note how we deal with other people, especially those who are below us. Whether those you employ or manage are countrymen of yours or foreigners, it doesn't matter to God. It is unrighteous and punishment worthy to abuse, oppress, and or to disadvantage those below you in society. And remember, even if you are higher up the ladder, so to speak, you do and always will have a master who is above you to whom you will give an account. You may not have any earthly manager, overseer, or master. You have no one who is above you because you're at the very top of the pie, if you will, but you will always have a master in heaven. Therefore, make sure you deal justly with those under you, lest the person under you, as Moses says here in this passage, cries out against you to the Lord and it becomes sin for you. And note that this is not an Old Testament principle only. This is also in the New Testament. We find in the New Testament book of Colossians chapter four, masters, you who are at the very top of the pie, if you will, give your bond servants, those who are below you, what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And following this same general theme, Moses continues in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert justice do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take the widow's garment as a pledge. Moses gives four basic classifications in the culture that we need to make sure that we are defending and advocating on their behalf to offer them justice and to make sure that we are defending their cause. He says that you need to make sure that you defend the poor in verse 14 and then the foreigner, the orphan and the widow here in this passage. These were effectively the lowest of the low, the most disadvantaged groups in ancient Israel, but not only in ancient Israel. One pastor and author writing on these four groups, he says this, In the pre-modern agrarian societies, these four groups had no social power. They lived at a subsistence level and were only days away from starvation. If there was any famine, invasion, or even a minor social unrest, these individuals were in danger. These are the vulnerable outcasts in society in ancient Israel. And we have vulnerable outcasts in our society today. They may not be the same group of people. Every culture has the vulnerable outcasts that are at the very bottom of the distribution. They have no one to intercede or advocate on their behalf or to stand in the gap for them. They often do not have any legal protections or rights. And they, back at this time, they did not have the financial power to uphold their cause if something was to close in upon them and to crush them. In much of the world 3,400 years ago and today, these are the social outcasts, the overlooked, the disadvantaged, and the ill-treated. And yet God would have that it would be different among his people. So he commands to his people, you shall not pervert justice for the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Again, Going back to the Psalms, the psalmist says, who executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? The Lord gives freedom to the prisoner. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. If that is what God does and that is what God is like, then it follows that God expects that his people will defend the cause of and deal justly with the poor, the overlooked, and the oppressed. Earlier in Deuteronomy, we saw this some time ago when we were back in chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And with the same mindset, Moses reaffirms this very same point once again here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 18. But you shall remember that you, were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there therefore I command you to do this thing God says don't forget where you came from don't forget that you were the lowest of the low in Egypt you were the disadvantaged you were the overlooked and the oppressed and I alone God says was your advocate I was the one who redeemed you and I expect that you be to others as I was to you Again, fast forwarding to the prophets, and I've said this a number of times as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the lens through which the Old Testament prophets would look at their society. And they would look at how their people were were acting and taking care of people. And they would say, listen, if you are doing this, then this is going to be the result. So the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 7, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother, do not oppress, here it is again, the widow, or the fatherless, or the alien, the foreigner, or the poor, those four groups, let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. As I said previously, the underprivileged, the overlooked, the ill-treated, the oppressed, they may not be the same exact four groups in our day in America in 2022 as they were in Israel 3,400 years ago, but we still have people that are at the bottom of the stack. And those are the people that are often disadvantaged or disadvantaged and ill-treated. And if we do not observe the general principles of justice and mercy and compassion for those groups, for those people at the bottom, then we will most certainly reap the consequences of our sinful actions or inactions. Rest assured, the Deuteronomic principle, it still applies. And a culture or a society that does not execute justice and show mercy and have compassion on these groups, those who are at the bottom of the pile, that society will destabilize. It will fall apart. And we, unfortunately, are watching some of that happen in our day. If this, then that. If obedience, then blessing. If disobedience, then destabilization and cursing. Moses continues, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, to get all the olives off your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows, over the trees again a second time. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean afterwards a second time. Those shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Again, just as I read from the Psalms a little while ago, in Psalm 146, verse 7, it says that God gives food to the hungry. And here's one of the ways that God commanded that his people would provide for the general welfare of the poor. Not just the poor, but the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow, these four groups within the culture. God is the great giver to those who are in need, and he commands that his people be as he is in their giving. And so we read on in verse 22, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. God just keeps saying, remember, remember, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Remember where you came from. You were without hope. You were without an advocate. There was no one to come and stand in the gap as your mediator. More than 600 years after Moses, when Israel was blessed and secure in the promised land, they became forgetful, which is often what happens to us. It's when we are in dire straits that we take care of other people. But when we become kind of fat and happy and comfortable and secure, then we can become pretty forgetful. And when the people became forgetful during the time of Isaiah, they did not defend the cause of the fatherless or plead on behalf of the widow. They did not rebuke the oppressor. They did not seek justice or extend mercy and compassion. And so God, as he often does, raised up a zealous prophet named Isaiah to call them back to righteousness under the law of Moses. He called them back to do what was right before God. They were still going to the temple. They were still offering up sacrifices and offerings. They were still observing the fasts and the feast days and the Sabbaths and all of those things within the land. They were still offering their prayers. And God says, stop, away with all of it. I don't want any of these offerings. I don't want you to observe all these things if you're not going to reform your ways. And if you don't, then I'm going to remove you from the land. And Isaiah's opening proclamation in Isaiah chapter 1 from the Lord is is this clear thing as he says, you guys are in the wrong. This is what God says to the people. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I'm sure that those words from Isaiah, this zealous young prophet there in Jerusalem under the shadow of the temple, I'm sure that those words were hard for the people of Judah and Jerusalem to hear. I'm sure that there were plenty of people who kind of turned a deaf ear to Isaiah as they made their way up to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Some probably even mocked him, maybe even some spat upon him. It isn't easy for us to receive correction, but as I said previously, it is important that we, from time to time, evaluate and reevaluate our our worldview, our philosophy, and our culture. And so we kind of have to take the scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomic principles of the law that we read here in this passage and look at our own culture through the lens of the word of God, do we defend the cause of these oppressed groups, maybe the refugee and the foreigner, the alien in our midst? Do we plead on behalf of the poor and challenge the thinking that gives more power and wealth to those that have the most? Or do we say, that sounds like Marxism. It's not Marxism. It's Deuteronomy. It's God's law. God would say, come now, let us reason together. Remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world. You conducted yourself according to the lusts of your flesh. You were without hope in this world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he redeemed you and he rescued me. So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God rescued and redeemed you from that place of being dead in trespasses and sins, without hope in this world, walking after the lusts of your flesh in this world, remember, remember that you were a slave to sin in your old life in the proverbial Egypt, and God rescued you and brings you into a new and great promised land, but there in that place, remember, remember, remember where you came from, and have mercy and grace and compassion, the same kind of mercy and grace and compassion that God had for you when you were in that pitiful state, have mercy and grace and compassion for those who find themselves in that place today. Remember, and that's exactly what we're gonna do here today. We're going to remember by partaking of communion. I hope that maybe you have some bread and some juice to partake of communion at home. If you don't right now, you can do this another time throughout this week remember, Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed, on the night before he would be crucified, he took the bread and the cup, and he told his disciples to do this often in remembrance of him, to remember how they were lost and dead in sin. But Jesus came to redeem them because of his mercy and his grace and compassion. And on that night that he would be betrayed by one of his own, The night before he would be crucified by his own people, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have some bread, you can partake of it with us as we just remember what Jesus did for us, showing his mercy and his grace and his, com- his compassion. When we were without a mediator, when we were without an advocate, he was our mediator standing in the gap, broken for us. So we partake together to remember his body broken for us. In the same manner, the scriptures say he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He came to die for us. He who was rich became poor for our sakes that we might through his poverty become rich. And he did this all because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. And so we remember, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And his blood was shed to rescue and save us. What a wonderful thing. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this way that you have given us something tangible to remember what you've done for us. And I pray in remembering your grace and your mercy and your compassion for us on the cross, that through that we would be stirred to have the same kind of mercy and grace and compassion for others. Sometimes it's easy for us to overlook those people who are below us, and yet you want us to have mercy and grace and compassion, to extend your love and your grace to them. And maybe that's in a very tangible way to take care of their need, but it's also in the spiritual way of bringing them the gospel. So God, I pray that you'd stir our hearts as we remember what you have done for us that you would stir us to compassion and grace and mercy for those who are below us. Because just as you did during the time of Isaiah, you will judge those who do not defend the cause of the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. Lord, help us to be those who are willing and ready to give even just a cup of cold water to the one who is thirsty. Because as you said in Matthew 25, insofar as we have done this for the least of these, we have done so for you. God, help us to be those who are committed to mercy, grace, compassion, love, justice, and mercy. Because you have shown us, God, what is good and what you require of us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before you. God, help us to do that, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.